Hi, everyone, and welcome to Hear, Hear, my audiobook podcast. I'm Dan Masterton, and I'm reading to you from my second fiction story, Abundance, Not Scarcity. If you'd like to get a paperback copy of the book, or if you'd like a free copy of this story as an ebook optimized for iPhone or iPad, visit my link tree at linktr.ee slash danmasterton. That's l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e slash danmasterton. There's links there to all my writing, including the link to the paperback order form, as well as a link to the Google Drive folder with free ebook versions of both of my fiction stories. My previous story, What There Is To Be Done, is also available in this podcast feed. Just hop back to season one. I'd love to hear your thoughts and feedback about these stories. Find me on Twitter at thisladdan or email me at dmastert at alumni.nd.edu. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoy this chapter and stick around at the end for a bonus reflection. May we all identify and come to understand God's ongoing invitations for us. Cheers. Once again on a Saturday morning, Noah found himself on the Cistercian campus. This time he didn't spring out of his car and come bounding up toward the public entrance. This time Noah was taking some extra time, sitting in the driver's seat of his car, keys still in the ignition, but engine turned off. This time he was thinking, not the kind of thinking one does to reach an as-yet-unknown conclusion, just thinking. It had been two weeks since Joan had broken up with him. In those two weeks, he had kept a pretty low profile. He still didn't have hard feelings against Joan. His newfound, tardy respect for her was growing. Noah wasn't depressed or exhausted. He was kind of taking a sabbatical. He was relaxing himself from what had been a very proactive stretch. For months and months, he'd been seeking prayer experiences, investing himself with great discipline into an increased quantity and quality of prayer, and sometimes pressing too hard to dare God to reveal himself. For now, for a moment, he was pulling back, not suspending his search or zeroing out his prayer, but peeling himself back to a more simple baseline, almost an apostolic sort of liturgy of the hours with just simple morning and evening moments. Noah had talked to his parents and told them about Joan. He was still hanging on to the deeper vocational stuff, though. Noah had texted with Joan a few days after the conversation, asking how she was doing. She felt sad about it but didn't have regrets or doubts, and sharing that he was feeling somewhat disappointed in himself, but finding understanding about it all. He then waited a week and asked if she'd like to get coffee. They settled on a Wednesday meeting, coffee rather than drinks, after work, before dinner. All in all, perhaps one of the least romantic contexts one could assemble. The conversation was cordial and respectful, and to Noah's delight, minimally awkward. There were some stumbly moments, word choices that had to be made differently, or affects that had to evolve, but it was two people who cared about each other's welfare, trying to check in on each other. Joan talked about socially resetting a little, checking in with some old friends and maybe being more social with coworkers. Noah mentioned relaxing his prayer regimen a bit and trying to take a step back to find a next step forward, rather than obsessing or ratcheting himself up. Toward the end of the coffee, Joan eyeballed the last sip sloshing around in her mug 
and hit Noah with a good parting shot. I know it's different now that we're not together, and now that I know I sort of helped prompt a significant moment, Jones started, but have you considered reaching out to Father C again? It was just the conversation you needed last time. Maybe it's the right time for the next one. Noah couldn't remember exactly how the conversation continued and ended, but he remembered thinking she was, once again, exactly right. So he had emailed Father C, and once again, Father C had quickly replied with an invitation to the Abbey at 9 a.m. Saturday. Noah had accepted, and this time he went in with less hesitation and uncertainty on his mind. That is, until he arrived. When he first spoke to Father C, it was one part old friends catching up and one part spiritual counsel for a young adult in need. Noah had made the choice to open up to him, but he did so as someone in a fairly long-term romantic relationship. He felt that being in a relationship and trying to reconnect with Father C socially were a decent pair of shields against any potential vocation direction. On the other hand, this time, Noah would be walking in as a romantically unattached young man known to have a lively prayer life. That thought didn't scare him off, but he took a few extra moments to confront the different reality and pledged to stick to authenticity and honesty. There was no use in playing games or sculpting a false reality now. Noah got out of the car and locked it up. If he was sure of something, it was trying to follow humble, loving advice and invitation. Noah walked into the same handshake greeting, the same gesture to the sitting area, and the same modest setup of morning coffee for two. Once again, Noah poured the coffee for both of them and then sat back with his cup of steaming hot black coffee. He took a sip as the monk mixed up his mug with a stir stick. After Father C finished, he took a test sip. It passed. He looked over to Noah and asked, So how are you this Saturday? Noah smiled and chuckled a bit. Just about everything was the same about this conversation as the first, except for everything. He decided not to dance around and just ran down the prayer experiences he'd had since they first spoke. Adoration bringing him to see working for the church, to say prayer helping him see a future in politics, and that fateful hike that helped him realize what he had struggled to see. Noah then described the respectful and measured conversation that led to Joan breaking it off with him and he paused. Noah then added a sort of thesis statement as his conclusion. I have seen a lot, a lot, and when I couldn't see us or a clear portrait of marriage and family, it felt like too much not to share candidly. Father C nodded respectfully. What maturity in your heart and in your prayer to work through these things with honest emotion and then to act upon a willingness to share? I think it's telling in a good way that your reaction to a hazy view of that future Moved you not to turn inward and withhold, but to look outside yourself and reach out to her, Father C said. Perhaps there was more health and stability in your relationship than you previously realized. And perhaps the way to evaluate it isn't by its outcome, but by the healthiness of how you two went about this last part. Noah nodded in agreement. He did think that was mostly true, but internally, he also knew the ways he was less than forthright and how he underestimated Joan's depth. He was still hounded by some self-doubts that made him think he could have salvaged and stabilized their relationship if he had thought more clearly and done so sooner. I have to say, it's been hard to square the ending of that relationship with all the good that preceded it. Like, it was tricky to process that empty experience of unemployment and homelessness, but it helped me find new empathy and understanding. This? This is different. It feels more like a magnifying glass on my failures. The ways I didn't give her enough credit the ways I kept myself from investing in her and our relationship more, Noah explained. Let me offer you this lens, Father C started, without wasting half a second. 
Take those personal and interpersonal lessons in this moment, okay? Be diligent with processing this growing retrospect on what you did or didn't do to be in right relationship. But try not to let the ways you fell short get extrapolated into proof that something is wrong with you. When you look with prayer and thoughtfulness, you'll find ways to grow and improve. It's when you move inward in a way that closes off from others that you begin to conclude such harmful things. And when it comes to bringing these things to bear on discernment, you have to be patient until you can discern from positives. We cannot discern well from negatives, including when all we can feel is anger or sadness. Father C gathered himself for a moment. Noah waited him out. The monk continued, God's invitations are ongoing, unfolding. We have to discern from a place of abundance, not scarcity. We have to look most of all for what God is inviting us to become and be, not what we are not. Noah breathed all of that in. He reached for his coffee and looked off to the side for a second while he held the mug. He inhaled a still hot sip and gulped it down. I get that, I really do, because all along this way when I've encountered people who are guiding me charitably and benevolently, I found that heeding their guidance brings me to good places, places where I experience God and vocation, whether in what I'm doing or where my prayer takes me. But when I push to try to get there on my own with my own ideas or my own insistences, it's drier and emptier, Noah explained. I've lost a girlfriend and need to learn how to become a friend, and that will take some space and time. But I already feel abundance in service to following invitations to meet and serve others' needs. Good, good, Father C replied. It sounds like something that has come up again and again, a thread you've identified and followed. That is prayer and action working in lockstep. That is your life of prayer, making your hands and feet the extension of Christ. Father C nodded through another sip of coffee. He set his cup down on the table and looked down for a moment. He seemed to be gearing up a bit to something, at least by how his body language went quiet for a moment. In all of this prayer and all of these experiences, do you find any new considerations of religious life? Father C asked plainly. Noah smiled. He chuckled nervously. He fidgeted in his seat a bit. He adjusted the sleeves of his shorts a bit as he settled back into a seated position. His eyebrows bounced a little as he started. No, no, I don't. Noah paused and held the dead air for a beat. He didn't want to change his answer, but he did want to reflect aloud further. I mean, no, not actively, but it is a parallel stream. My choices in my prayer have drawn me to service, to community life, to committed and routine prayer, to consider a career change. So some of it could be related to that. Noah was wondering and thinking out loud. I haven't seen myself suddenly wearing a religious habit or professing vows or anything. None of my experiences have been specifically about religious life. Father C. bobbed through a few micro-nods, and then he offered a conjecture, and did so in a way that was a gift, possessed uniquely by his humble religious life, a manner of speaking in an authentically curious and neutrally hypothetical tone. Or, maybe all of it has? Noah's eyes widened. He smiled again. Uh Uh-oh, maybe all of it has. He didn't immediately latch onto the possibility, but he didn't dismiss it. Oh man, I just had to come back to this guy, who I know, full well, is chock full of wisdom and insight, and I had to let these updates loose. And then sure enough, he is listening and responding intently, and now I have new things to pray over. (laughs) Maybe all of it has, Noah laughed, putting his hands up in a gesture of uncertainty. He interlaced his fingers and set his hand atop his head while he drew in a big breath. That's definitely something I hadn't considered probably because I was dating someone most of the time, and since my heart was kind of on an autopilot in that regard. 
Father C responded, one of the things I've learned in these first few months of vocation direction is that the supposition has to be offered, usually by someone like me. I try to do it lightly because I know it's heard differently coming from a habited old monk versus coming from someone else, but I do try to throw it out there to young men, kindly and gently. Sometimes God is inviting people to consider religious life. Sometimes there's an unnoticed positivity and abundance, and sometimes there's a fit. Father C stopped to think for a sec. He had a little yarn to spin and wondered if he should unfurl it to Noah. He decided to give it a shot. All right, since you're coming off a longer relationship, let's use the example of so-called soulmates. I don't say it that way to scoff at people who use the word genuinely. I say it that way because I don't love the stakes. It makes it seem as if those of us who are invited to marriage and family life have to be on high alert, vigilantly watching for that one moment when our paths cross with that one person who is the one and only perfect match for us. I think of it like two ships' paths coming close before diverging. It could happen in the day when it's easy to see each other, or in the night when they're likely to miss each other entirely. Or think of two perpendicular lines. They only intersect once and then head in different directions, never to cross again. To me, that perspective toward a one and only person in a one and only moment is unnecessarily high pressure. I know it's a bit odd hearing romantic analogies from a celibate old crank, Father C laughed, but here's my larger point. We are all capable of doing multiple things well. At a certain point, or maybe at several different crossroads, you end up choosing something. Hopefully that's done out of great thought and prayer, but I don't think that there's only one path for each person that only appears at one time, and that it must be discovered or else is missed. I think our freely chosen decisions and the actions we take set forth the ever-changing paths, and I believe in a God whose invitations are many and ongoing, whose grace is always active whose Holy Spirit is always moving and seeking. And so I believe in a spirituality where I need to attentively watch for where this grace and spirit has been, where I need to be primed to see it as it continues moving. Noah was delighted by this little lesson he had been privileged to receive. It brought him back to the old days when he was quietly loving his high school theology class with Father C, even if his facade of only mild interest reflected something less to the eyes of his peers. He was grateful to sit, not at the feet of a wise teacher, but on the same level, across from him, as a friend walking together. I really appreciate that insight, Father C, and it helps me make sense of things a bit. In these immersions into different ministries and jobs, I never felt like any of them were a bad fit or like they were imposed upon me. Also, none of them felt like the one and only path I could take. Those prayerful experiences just showed me different ways, Noah said. Still doesn't necessarily help me figure out what to do next. Noah said as he raised a brow and went for his next sip of coffee. And that is okay, Father C. assured him. You're blessed with stability, seemingly both from privilege in your background as well as your diligent work. You have the mixed blessing now of open-ended discernment. There's no college decision date, no internship application deadline, no horizon to meet. You're able to engage with these graces of clarity in their own time, which is potentially both maddeningly indefinite, but also perhaps consoling in the reduced pressure it presents. That's true, both ways, but it is good to be here, near Cistercian, to stay plugged in with Father Ambrose's group, to be able to see you and talk with you. It helps keep me steady. Also going to Sunday Mass and trying to keep with my little prayer devotions on my own, Noah replied. Well, that's great to hear. And then let me offer one more monkey wrench before I send you off into the rest of your weekend, Father C began. I am the vocation director, and well, it doesn't mean every conversation I have with every person I speak with has to be about vocations to religious life. It does mean that it's a big part of who I am and what I'm trying to do right now. Noah was looking at Father C with patience as he listened, 
but he was starting to worry that he was being recruited. For a moment, he let the nerves pulse, but he quickly settled. No one knew Father C wasn't one to make a hard sell, to apply pressure, to be anything less than genuine and gentle. He knew he could just hear him out and see what he had to say. But here's my thing. I don't see my job as trying to headhunt. I'm not a corporate recruiter. I'm a monk. I see my role as sharing my spirituality with young men who are discerning, and I hope that accompaniment helps them discern the state of life to which they're called, be it religious life or otherwise, and discover a particular vocation, a more specific path that they believe God is inviting them to walk. If you're interested, I would enjoy the chance for regular conversations, so we have a standing appointment. That gives us a chance to check in, talk about how you're doing, and even for me to offer some ways you can grow and deepen your prayer life as you work toward greater clarity toward whatever outcome. I could be interested in that, Noah replied. He was trying to downplay the instinctive interest he felt, knowing Father C likely had more to say. Indeed, he did. Forgive me while I offer one more analogy, if you would, Father C continued. Think of romantic relationships, maybe your own, maybe those of your broader circle of friends. There are tons of couples who maybe go on a date or two but don't stick together. Then there are a smaller number who go on several dates. From there, an even smaller number will define the relationship and date exclusively. Then the number shrinks further when you consider how many couples date for a lengthy period and really get to know each other. A still smaller number will discuss marriage and perhaps become engaged. An even smaller number than that will actually marry. And a teeny tiny amount will remain married and be married for as long as they both shall live. I try to have this humility about spiritual counsel and vocational accompaniment. Some young men might have a chat or two with me. Some will commit to speaking regularly. Some might be receptive of considering religious life, maybe come stay at the Abbey for a short prospective visit. Some might consider applying for formation. Some will be accepted and enter for limited periods. But a very small number will go all the way through formation, make lasting commitments, and then live that out for their whole lives. With that mindset, I'm trying to walk with folks in great humility. Keeping this awareness in the front of my mind, Father C. explained. God's invitations carry the day. Not any sort of need to convert my leads or fill a certain number of choir stalls at some Cistercian Abbey. This all sounded good to Noah. The prospect of an earnest companion didn't make him feel pressured or pre-committed. On the contrary, it eased and calmed him. He didn't feel like the breadth of what he had found in prayer would ever be overwhelming if he knew he had someone reliable and dependable with whom to share it. On the same token, it did call to mind the ways he, knowingly or unintentionally, boxed out Joan before. Rather than sulk, he found it to be an opportunity to learn from this and embrace the offered help more quickly and happily. Well, Father C., I've come to appreciate coffee at nine. How does the first Saturday of each month work for you? Noah asked. Father C. laughed. You know where to find me, the monk joked, making light of his vow of stability to the monastery. Father C. rose from his chair, and Noah mirrored him. Father C. took a step toward him, shook his hand, and gave his shoulder a strong fraternal grasp of affirmation. To Noah, it felt like Father C. was supercharging him to walk this path with fresh energy and grace. It's probably not hard to tell that Father C. said most of what I want to say to people when we talk about discernment and vocation. Working in vocation ministry now with a religious community, I've learned that you have to find a happy middle. There are certainly men who come from an era where priesthood and religious life just sort of happened. 
decent numbers of young men would go into formation, profess vows, many would get ordained, and the community had kind of a self-sustaining flow of men, as did most diocesan seminaries and parish posts. Some of those men have a sense that vocation ministry can just kind of happen through prayer and passivity. That's too far of an extreme. On the other hand, there are certainly some people in the vocation ministry world who are a little too gung-ho, who are expecting that many, if not most, or all of the young men and women that they talk to will have some sort of interest in religious life, or if they don't, should, and can kind of not necessarily be talked into it, but can be persuaded a bit by conversation and exposure. And that's not necessarily wrong, but that sort of intensity and that sort of overbearing approach probably won't hit well with most young people um, of these days. What we've found is really necessary is finding a middle ground. You can't say nothing and leave it all to God and grace and prayer and passivity, but you also can't be right up in people's faces trying to convince every young person you run into at every occasion that they should be a priest or religious. We like to tread a middle ground. And one of the things we want people to be sure about is if you see gifts of service, gifts of spirituality, gifts of servant leadership in a young person or a young adult, or even someone into middle age, tell them what you see, name the gifts and compliment them, and then ask the question. Don't apply pressure. Don't try to guilt trip. Don't make them feel like they have to address the priest shortage or refill the dwindling numbers in some religious communities. Just ask them. Have you ever considered priesthood or religious life? And if they wonder or they have some receptivity, affirm them. Like, I think you might make a good priest or brother or sister and attach that to the affirmation and compliment you offered and just leave it with them. If they respond in the affirmative or they're interested or you pique some curiosity, maybe think about connecting them to the parish pastor, someone on the pastoral staff, a local religious brother, sister, or priest. Or if you have a Dasson or Archdiocesan Vocation Association, point them in that direction. But just plant the seed. Find a middle ground between passivity and headhunting. And just invite people to confront and address the notion that there may be an invitation from God to priesthood or religious life. And in that regard, allow any young person who demonstrates an interest or a receptivity to discern a vocation to anything. God's ongoing invitations could be pointing them to any number of things. And without affirmations and compliments from peers, as well as trusted mentors, teachers, coaches, school administrators, etc., they may never recognize gifts and passions they have, cultivate them, and then find out how to put them at service of the people in their community and in our world. So don't be afraid to be a complimentary, affirming person to others. And don't be afraid to sow the seeds of vocational discernment by just encouraging people to think about things that you think they might be good at, whether it's just some sort of career or profession, whether it's parenthood or religious life and priesthood. Don't be afraid to plant the seed. That's all for this episode. Remember, all the links for this book and my other writing is at my link tree, linktr.ee slash danmasterton. That's l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e slash danmasterton. Thanks for listening. 
and I hope your gifts and passions are meeting the needs of the people and world around you. Instrumentals for this podcast were improvised and performed by Jason Pham.